Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Amen. Now I'd like for everyone to turn in your Bible to 1 John. 1 John, that's closer towards the end of the New Testament as we continue our series titled Let There Be Light. This is the third message in the series and uh, we have one more um, next week and we hope that you've been following along and, and studying and looking at the passages um, that we've been kind of focusing on. Light is such a huge part of biblical teaching and you know I, I have a real burden for us as a church to develop Biblical logic, okay? What I mean by biblical logic is that we think the way the Bible wants us to think because we believe that the Bible is the word of God. And because we put such, such a high value on the authority of the word of God, what, we, what we're hoping is and what I'm praying for is that the Lord would help us to learn how to think like, like what the Bible says and to think according to what the Bible teaches. This is a very, very important issue. And, and uh, for example, the first message in this series was titled that light equals life. And we tried to lay out that both in a physical and a spiritual sense, okay, light is foundational to life. And then last week, we talked about the fact that light is also favor. When our life interacts with the light of Christ, that is the intersection of favor. And, and the way we experience the favor of God is that we find that favor in the face of Christ Jesus, in the light of his face. And that was, this is deeply rooted all throughout the scriptures and today, today the title of the message is Light is Fellowship. Light is Fellowship. Everyone say fellowship with me. Now, fellowship is very important, but I want you to know, I believe that fellowship is something that has become distorted in the church of Jesus Christ. And um, a lot of people are calling, quote, fellowship something that is not really aligned with the Word of God. And so, so this message hopefully is a logical argument. I want you to notice how the Bible makes one statement that builds on the next statement that builds on the next statement. And um, so we need to use our minds and our hearts today, okay? Christianity is true and it's logical and it's, and it's powerful. Amen? And so uh, we've got a lot to cover. I want to go ahead and read um, this first passage of this passage of Scripture. We're going to read ten verses, but the focus will be on three. All of them kind of give context to, oh, actually five verses, but the focus will be on three. And so 1 John 1, beginning with verse 5, says, This is the message we have heard from him. And declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. A little more. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now look at me for a moment. Okay, I want to point out to you that the, here are now two sentences that are talking about the fact that fellowship can be distorted. You can... You can uh, uh, it's possible to think that you know. Have you ever known something 
and realized that you were wrong. Come on, let everybody lift a finger because I know how hard that is. Okay? So, so, you know, it's possible to be wrong and the, the beauty and the blessing of the word of God is that it's supposed to lead us into clarity. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so there are things that God wants us to learn today. And when we learn them, the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Okay? So it says if we confess our sin, no, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Which means that you can be uh, deceived or truth can, things can get distorted. It says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How many are thankful that Jesus is ready to forgive and to, and to cleanse? That's why he shed his blood. He shed his blood so that every day that we come to him, we can receive cleansing by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else can cleanse us. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's praise God for the blood of Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah. Go ahead and put that back on. So almost done, it says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, these verses are very, very important, and even the way they are framed, they are, they are framed in a, in a kind of right and wrong kind of way, light and truth, uh, uh, light and darkness, or, or truth and falsehood kind of way. And as we go to the passage, we want to discover what real fellowship is and the role that light plays in our fellowship. So this is a very, very important thing, and I want to pray right now, and then we're going to go ahead and and get into this. So, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all of my precious brothers and sisters that are here. Thank you for every visitor that has come. I pray that you would bless and enrich, O Lord, their lives. I pray that you would strengthen every heart, O God. God, do what only you can do, Lord. I'm just a man. I pray that you hide me behind the cross, but let your spirit go out in power. Do all of these things, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen Amen and amen. Light is fellowship. So what is fellowship? Fellowship is the relationship and community that flows out of the life and favor we receive from God. True fellowship is the relationship and the community, okay, that flows out of the life and favor that we receive from God. So it goes from life to favor to fellowship. You see, there's a progression. Now, in one of my commentaries, and I have quite a few, I took a quote right out of it. It is a Bible background commentary that is, uh, it's really, really powerful. And I want to put this quote up. Um, Look at what it says. It says, North American church publicity often makes use of the phrase, food, fun, and everyone. Very common, okay? Churches say this, food, fun, and fellowship, okay? It says, but for John and his readers, fellowship is apparently something more profound than good food and good times. Okay, judging from John's letter, fellowship involves commitment to a body of belief, which is doctrine, the teaching of God's word, and faithfulness in a dedicated life of obedience. Look at me for a second. There's a little bit more, okay, but it's important for us to understand. What is this saying? What this is saying is that when John talked about fellowship and what the Bible teaches about fellowship means that just because Christians gather together, that doesn't mean that they're fellowshipping. Not biblically anyway. Biblical fellowship revolves around the word of God and dedication to God. You see, and then look at, look at uh, let's take this a little further. Look at what, they, what the writers say. 
Uh, this is the Zondervan uh, Bible background commentary. It says, it involves that elusive thing called love, love for God, as well as love for people and especially fellow believers. Leave that up. Now, what this is saying is, is that in the midst of our, quote, fellowship, our hearts are, are, and, our, and our time together is dominated by God's word, by obedience to him, and also by a love for one another and a love for God. That is true fellowship. And when I talk about biblical reasoning and biblical logic, part of what I want to help you to do, okay, is to develop that ability to discern, don't just listen passively, don't accept, don't let life happen to you all the time. Judge things and make decisions that will lead you into life and favor and fellowship as opposed to just being along for the ride all the time. Christians, we process stuff. We think about stuff. And then we make decisions, and one of the things that we want to do is we want to decide our way into sweeter and sweeter fellowship with Jesus and with each other. How many would say amen? You see, so this is very, very important, and, uh, um, and this is the, essentially the framework of this entire passage of Scripture. So let's walk through this slowly. What does this passage of Scripture teach us? The first thing it teaches us is that light reflects God's moral perfection. Light reflects God's moral perfection. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Okay, no darkness in God. Now listen to me very closely, okay? This truth is rooted very deeply, not just in the New Testament, but very deeply in the Old Testament, okay? We get this all the way down. This is the secret to the endurance of the people of God. The Jewish people throughout history, they were able to endure one attack after another attack after another attack. And why were they attacked? They were attacked because they were the chosen people of God. And the reason that they could endure is because of this principle here. Deep down in the root system of the, of the nation of Israel was this. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And no matter what they went through, they refused to attribute evil to God. They refused to say God does evil things. They said God is light. God never does evil. This is an evil world. Bad things happen. Hurtful things happen. But God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. Hallelujah. He never harms us. He never hurts us. God does not hurt his people. You see, and it's a very important thing in the, in the book of Micah, one of the minor prophets. I love the way they put it. Look at this. He says, do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Hallelujah. The Lord will see me through. The Lord will lift me up out of this pit. He'll guide me straight out of this. That was the assurance okay, of the believer, and that should be our assurance. Brothers and sisters, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. You never have to be afraid of God, okay, not in that context. God doesn't hurt people. God doesn't do things to hurt people. When you get tempted to blame God, just know that's the devil uh, getting you not to look at him and to, and to blame someone else because he's a liar and he's a deceiver. God is good all the time, and all the time, brothers and sisters, God is good. Amen? Very important. Very important for us to understand. Okay? In this life, we have hardship and pain and trouble, but God is not the source of that. There's no darkness in him. That's not who he is, and that is not his nature. This light in the Bible implies his moral and ethical purity. You see? He's holy, and his holiness prohibits him from doing anything evil. And here's the biblical logic. Ready? Here's the biblical logic. The Bible identifies God as light, and then it also identifies Satan as the one who blinds us so that we could not see the light. 
Look at what it says in another place in 2 Corinthians. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, which is the good news, that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, what the enemy wants to do is blind us. The reason why we have the story of love is because we have been assigned to bring people who are blind. And then we want, when the cross goes up and when the word of God goes forth, the light of the gospel will shine in their hearts in the same way it's shown in our hearts one day. And, they would, and the blinders will fall off and they'll come into a, a relationship with Jesus. But we have to understand God is light. The enemy wants to blind us. And, and let me give you a, just a real basic illustration. Hopefully this will stay with you for a long, long time. So as we started studying light, we found out that, that one of the ways they categorize lights now is by how many lumens it has. And we actually have a brother who works in the lighting business. And he told me that a lumen... Uh, go, is, goes all the way back in history, and a lumen, one lumen equals one candlelight, okay? So uh, I want to put a light on for you that is 25,000 lumens. Everybody see that up there? Okay, so that is coming through one of our fixtures. That is the spotlight, and that, is, that bright light is 25,000 lumens. That's the highest that we can turn up the light, okay? Now, if we want to change the color on it, what we have to do is put a filter on it. So go ahead and put a filter on this. So if we want to put red or blue, you put a filter on it. And when you put that filter on it, it goes from 25,000 lumens to 20,000 lumens. The same light is behind it, but the filter decreases the power of the light. It minimizes. Now, in addition to that, we can put another filter. We could put a shape on it. Go ahead and put that shape on it. You guys see that shape? Okay, so that's another filter. Now, when you put the next filter on it, it goes 25,000 lumens behind it, but it goes down to 15,000 lumens. And this is a, this is a very important basic principle for us to understand, okay? I want you to imagine the light of Jesus to be the pure 25,000 lumens. You see, so what does the devil do? What is his goal? What is his plan? What his plan is, is to put one filter after another filter after another filter in front of you because he understands that if he can put the filters between the light of Christ and your life, he can diminish the power of the life that, that, the, that the S-O-N, that the Son of God wants to shine into our hearts. He can diminish the favor. And so go ahead and put that up. So a lot of people, they don't understand that all week long, perhaps, what you're being bombarded with is one filter after another, one filter after another. And some people, if this is part of the reason why we take communion. Because we want, how many want the blood of Jesus to wash off every unholy filter they got on us this week? Amen. And what we, what we have to realize is that God's light is pure and perfect and powerful. And what the enemy wants to do is diminish our sensitivity and focus on light, on spiritual light, on the light of his face. Okay, so everyone tracking with me so far? Now, laying that as the foundation, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. The second thing that this teaches us is that light is the basis of our fellowship with God and even with each other. It says if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness... We lie and do not live out the truth. You see, it's possible, okay, to be deceived. It's possible to think that you're in fellowship with God but not be fellowshipping with God. God's standard for us to fellowship with him is light. 
We have to walk in the light. Now, let's explore that for a second. How many would agree with me that all relationships have standards? Okay, and here's what I mean by that. For example, and, and well, let me say, let me say this, uh, this complete thought here. All relationships have standards, and depending on the intimacy of that relationship, that determines the standards. For example, when someone gets married, the standard of one of the standards of that relationship is fidelity, is faithfulness. Okay? It, doesn't, it doesn't matter what, what continent you, are, you were born on. It doesn't matter where you live. This is universal, okay? When someone says, I choose you, you know, in our church we say, with this ring, I choose you now. In the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we're saying you and you alone. It doesn't make sense to say, I want to be married to you and then I want to go out and live like a nut. Nobody buys that. Okay, nobody buys that. Okay, if that, if that couple, they have a, a four-year-old son, the four-year-old son would easily say, Daddy, why don't you just love Mommy? Right? Uh, uh, mommy, why don't you just love Daddy? This is universal. There are standards to relationships. If someone is a parent, okay, it is universally understood that that parent has an obligation to protect to provide for, to care for that child. In fact, in our culture, if you don't treat a child correctly, you know, you could be arrested. You know, why? Because those standards are universally accepted. Anybody who has a best friend or a good friend, when you have a good friend, you expect that friend to be loyal. You expect that friend to be honest. You expect that friend to be helpful, right? You know, when I... I I, I, when I was a kid, we had a phrase in Brooklyn. We called it a flat lever. Okay, you know what a flat lever was, right? Flat lever was a person that if you got in a jam, you know, like if you were walking home from school and some guys rolled up on you and you got surrounded and your friend said, I'll check with you later, and they ran off and left you there by yourself, you know what you call that guy? You call him a flat lever. How I many know that's understood in every culture and every language? That dude is a flat lever, right? Because we have basic, basic expectations that are only normal. Now, we do live in a culture, we do live in a culture that people try to say, well, standards don't matter. And relational standards don't matter. Okay, and that's baloney, and, and there we could spend a couple of hours talking about this, but I want to put one quote up by C.S. Lewis that I think really hits the nail on the head. Look at what C.S. Lewis said. He said, if no set of moral ideas were truer or better than others, than any other, uh, there would be no sense in preferring civilized morality to savage morality or Christian morality to Nazi morality. So he's saying, wait a second, if, if, if every standard is the same, if anybody can do whatever they want, well, then Hitler was right, okay? If, if he said, well, I think that some people are better than other people. I think that there's a superior race to other races. But how many know that's not true? How many know that's ungodly? How many know that's terrible? The Bible is clear. We are all God's children. It doesn't matter what color we are. It doesn't matter where we were born. Neither, the Bible says, look, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. The only thing that matters is that we are children of the Most High God. If that that wasn't true, we wouldn't be in this room together. How many would say amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It doesn't matter what, what continent you were born on, if you have the same blood type as someone else, doesn't matter what nation or culture, that person can give you a blood transfusion and save your life, right? So yes, some standards are better than others and more true than others. But would we at least agree, right, that all relationships have standards? Well, guess what the standard of the relationship with God is? It's that we walk in the light. You see, if you want a fellowship with God, you have to walk in the light. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. No, only he's perfect. But at least we need to be pursuing him.
You see, you have to be going after God. He says, he says God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. Now, if we, if we claim to have fellowship, right, but we're walking in darkness, we're deceiving ourselves. So here's part of what I want to do today. I want to talk very practically to you for the rest of this message about how Paul laid out for the Corinthian church four facets of fellowship. Four facets of fellowship. Look at what he says here. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't have friends that are unbelievers. It just means that you can't be yoked to unbelievers. Here's the illustration. Back then in that culture, when they wanted to plow the ground, what they would do is they would get a big ox and the ox would get a yoke on it. And if, and if the plow was big and they wanted to do more work together, they would, they would pair that ox with another ox and they would yoke them together. Now, how many know if you yoke an ox and let's say uh, a giraffe, how many know that's not going to work very well? You see? It's saying don't be unequally yoked. So don't bind yourself and tie yourself in profound and intimate ways with people because you're supposed to be pulling in the same direction. You want to connect with people that are going to pull you to Jesus, that are going to pull you to an eternity that when you see him face to face, you're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. How many are looking forward to that day? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Those are the people that you want to be yoked with. It says don't be unequally yoked because if you're pulling this way and they're pulling that way, guess where you're not going to get anywhere. You see, so look at what it says. It says, for what partnership? Everyone say partnership. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship? Everyone say fellowship. What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord? Everyone say accord. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement? Everyone say agreement. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? So in this passage, what we see here are the four facets of fellowship that I want to kind of explain to you. Look at me for a second. I want to explain this to you so that you can make decisions that lead you into more of God's favor, more fellowship with God, more of the life of God. Okay? Only you can choose these things. And so, so I, can only, I have to choose for myself and for my family. You get what I'm saying? So look at, what, look at these, what, how this breaks out. These are the four facets of fellowship. First of all, there's partnership. What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? This is talking about alliances that we would make, whether it be in business or political alliances or philosophical alliances. In other words, practically speaking, okay, if you own a business, it says don't start a part, and you want to be honest and God-honoring with your business, no matter how smart they are, no matter how much money they have, don't start a partnership with someone who will cheat or lie or steal. Don't do that. It's going to wreck your life. You see, that's being unequally yoked. Beware of partnerships. Some people, when it comes to their choices, they decide their, their way right out of fellowship with God. Business is one of those areas. Politics is another one. Everyone here has the right to a political opinion. Every single one of us. No problem with that. Some people here are Democrats. Some people here are Republicans. Some people here, maybe you belong to the Green Party or the Purple Party or the Independent Party. Whatever your position is, that's fine. But I want to encourage you. There's something higher than being a Democrat or a Republican. We belong to a higher party. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that's more important than all of those things. Be careful that you don't make such deep alliances that you push other people out that you're supposed to be winning to Jesus. Listen to me. It's better, it's better to win 
uh, uh, someone to Christ than to win an election. Okay, plus presidents come and go. Okay, and parties come and go. We have to never, don't ever lose sight of the fact that there are certain things that are way more important than your political position. Because the truth of the matter is, is that no party can save any man or any person. The Bible says don't trust in princes. We only trust in one king and his name is Jesus. Can I get an amen? So funny, all throughout the day when I started going to politics, I saw hands start to fold. Okay? That's all right. But here's what I want to do. I want to appeal to you to think biblically. All right? I want you to take this and think about it. Think biblically. Okay? God is right. God's way is better. Even though what we prefer or what we want. Think biblically. So this is a very important thing, even uh, as well as in a philosophical sense. Then it says, what fellowship between light versus darkness? Okay, and this is talking about community and relationships. And again, we started the whole, this whole uh, uh, passage of Scripture starts with this issue that we have to choose our relationships very, very wisely. My mom used to always say, tell me who you hang with and I will tell you who you are. Bad company corrupts good morals. You want to make the right uh, 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 relationships and the right friendships. And ladies... No matter how fine he is, no matter how nice he dresses, if he doesn't serve Jesus, he will never serve you. Let it pass. Let it pass. Okay? It's better to be alone than to be with someone who's going to drag you down and make you miserable. Same thing. Same thing with the guys, okay? No matter how amazing you think she is, if she doesn't want to serve Jesus, she will never serve you. We are called to serve Jesus together in matrimony. How many would say amen with me today? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay? And, uh, you know, I always hear, you know, the Lord told me that they're going to serve him one day. That's baloney. Okay, God didn't say that. Okay? Don't, don't go into evangelistic dating. Okay? I'm telling you right now. Okay, 99.9% of the time, okay, you suffer that decision. Okay? You suffer it. So this is important. Who, who you're close to is important. Do they lift you up? Do they build you up? Do they point you to Jesus or do they point you away? Because remember, watch the progression. Light is life. Light is favor. Light is fellowship. Watch. Break the fellowship. Break the favor. Break the life. You see? This is so important, guys. Ultimately, when you break fellowship with God, you break favor with God. And you're actually impacting the life of God that he wants to transmit to your life and everything that concerns you. So this is a big deal. Light is fellowship. And that fellowship is precious. That fellowship is very, very important. Let's keep going here. Then it says, that word accord literally means harmony. It is a musical term. It's basically saying, what harmony between Christ and Belial? Okay, it's talking about music. Okay, it's talking about entertainment. It's talking about, about what, what kind of, what is, mankind was made to have a song in their heart. We were made to worship. Okay, God, the angels sang before anything was created. We were made to worship. We were made to have a song in our heart. And so this is saying, what, what harmony do the songs of, do you know what Bilal means? Songs that are worthless have to do with songs that are glorified Christ and bring us closer to Christ. So practically speaking, right? So when, when my kids were younger, okay, I used to say to them, you see that radio? You see those speakers? Okay, I pay for those speakers. I don't, want, I don't want secular music in this house. 
And you may say, that's fanatical. That's crazy. Okay. I just know what the Bible says. You know what? I want music going into their hearts that will make them think about God. As opposed to, let me give you an example. So I'll never forget being a young believer, baby Christian, and going into my house. And then one of our, one of our a family member of ours, 10-year-old girl, was in the mirror. Okay? Some of you might remember this song. And she was in the mirror like this. She was singing, I want to sex you up. I want to sex you up. Is that a good song for a 10-year-old girl to be singing? Okay. I don't care what country you were born in. I don't care what planet you could be on Mars. Is that a good song for a 10-year-old girl to be singing? Okay. Whatever your religion, whatever your philosophy, right? No, that's not a good song. You see? And so we have to pay attention. We have to pay attention to what's happening and to what's blaring everywhere. Christians are awake. We have to recognize what's going on. There are messages. Okay, whatever your heart is full of, that's what you're going to do. So if her heart is full of at 10 years old, I want to sex you up, guess what she's going to do? Okay? So it's not being fanatical to say, not in my house. We want music that is going to say what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ our King. How many would say amen? How do you entertain yourself? You know, a lot of times people come in, right? We gotta, we're talking plain here today. A lot of people come in, right, and they're so full of the music of the world, no wonder you can't worship. You've got like 40, 50, 60 filters of the music of the world, and then when the music of God is trying to break in, and you should be, you know how we should worship God in this church? We should be going nuts every single Sunday. We should be shouting to God with the voice of triumph. But the reason we don't is all those filters. All those filters. You know, you know, oh, I, you know, whatever. Whatever. Whatever song, you know, you have to understand that this stuff impacts you. And the Bible tells you that it has an impact on you. Now, if some people think they're smarter than the Bible, have at it. Let's see where it turns out for you. You see? So look, what he's saying is, look, partnership Okay, relationship, fellowship, harmony. How do you entertain yourself? It's a big deal. Because entertainment, how many know entertainment shouldn't break fellowship with Jesus? Okay? Here's the last one. What agreement between the temple of God and the temple of idols? This speaks to, it's more of entertainment, these last two are the same, but this speaks to gathering places and practices, recreation and pleasure, gathering places and practices. Where do you gather? Where do you go to hang out? So for, here's, here's a, 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 a hot one, right? Just recently, we had someone leave our church, okay, because we, we take a pretty stiff line when it comes to drinking. Okay, so I just say to people, all right, so let's talk about this. Okay, I'm not angry. You angry? I'm not angry. Okay, I'm happy. You happy? So listen, so what is a bar? You know what a bar is? Bar is a place where people go to drink and medicate themselves. A lot of times people need to drink because they're so insecure and they're so hurt and they're so troubled that unless they have a couple of drinks, they can't even really talk to people. Bars are places that people go to pick up other people to go and have sex and sleep around and somehow try to fill the empty void in their hearts, okay? You know, people are not praising Jesus in bars, okay? You have to ask yourself plain and simple, okay? Would Jesus be happy with that? You know, would, would he be happy with that fellowship? So if this is like plain and simple, okay? All you have to do is come uh, to our church when our, little, when our little babies back there in that room 
okay, that we say, okay, write some prayer requests. You know what kids write sometimes? Please pray for my dad or my uncle because they drink. Okay? They're not theologians, but they just know. They just know that when people drink, they make really, really bad decisions. Okay, when people drink, they end up wrecking and ruining their lives. And they go, well, I can control it. Really, can you? Well, what's the limit? Okay, what's the limit of a drink? All right, and what does that drink have? What kind of impact does that drink have on other people? Every single year, guys, walk with me through this. All right, every single year, including this year at this church, every single year, something happens. A new believer, someone just gets saved. And they come to the Lord's house. And they're like, oh, I'm so excited about these people who love Jesus and, and worship Jesus. And they do all this awesome stuff every single year. And I cry over this. Okay? And that person will go over someone's house. And guess what's happening there? Okay? They're being served alcohol. Okay? And when they get served alcohol, what they don't know, what the people who are serving the alcohol because they're having, quote, fellowship. What they don't know is that that person is an alcoholic, okay? I wouldn't be surprised if 10 people in here, one little smell of alcohol would have a, a, a debilitating impact on them. Every single year, it happens at our church. That person goes, and after they leave, even if they just take one sip, when they go home, they opened it up. They opened it up, and then they go and drink themselves into oblivion. We have someone who came to our church who was sober for three years. Okay, sober, he was sober for three years, went to a Christian wedding, and what were they doing at the Christian wedding? They were knocking it back. That's why for us, we won't do a wedding. This is not legalism, okay? But we won't do a wedding where there's drinking in it. You know why? Because we don't want to be associated with that. Plain and simple. So listen, Christian, serving God, happy, being a good husband to his family, a good father to his children, right? Being, being a good guy, he goes to one Christian wedding and they're knocking it back and guess what happens he starts and he's on a seven year downturn and then then counseling session begging him begging him please walk away from that but now I got him can I tell you here I'm going to tell you one more alright I've been in ministry 25 years and I've been at four different churches so I'm not going to tell you what church this happened at but this is a true story. And for this story, I've got about 20 more. All right? But look. So in one of the churches where I was a pastor, okay, there were two couples. And you know what? These two couples, they loved to fellowship. And what they would do is that they would go to gathering places for recreational purposes. They would go to gathering places where they would drink and dance. They would dance salsa, and they would have a wonderful time. And, uh, um, and then, you know, there came a point when they were having such a wonderful time that the husband uh, of couple B started dancing with husband of couple A, which for the life of me, I don't even get that. Okay, I understand in the world, but when a man becomes a man of God, to allow your wife to be in the hands of another man and shaking her stuff makes no sense to me. Okay, my wife is for me and for me alone. How many would say amen to that? Amen? Makes no sense to me. But nonetheless, this is what they did and so on and so forth and it just became pretty regular. And so, so then guess what happens? It just so happens that on some kind of business, something or whatever, wife from couple A is at a business event with husband of couple B. This is a true story. This is a very, very true story. Okay? So what happens? They go there, and what are they doing? They are drinking and dancing and one drink and a dance. And, and before you know it, they slipped away, okay? They slipped away. I don't know where they slipped away to, okay? But they fell. They had sex one time. She was pregnant. And then, and then they came to us. All right? And let me tell you something. 
okay? When you, I was telling the staff, the first funeral I ever did many, many years ago at a church was a baby. And let me tell you, it was one of the, I was like, it was like I was so young in the ministry and I had to do the funeral of a little baby and I was just shattered to pieces. I was like, Lord, the ministry is too hard, okay? Now, the only other time that I felt a feeling like that was when I had to go up to that wife. And I had to beg her to hang on and to hold on and to forgive. And as she cried, I had to sit there and cry with her and on and on. And every single pastor on staff has been down that track. Okay? So now when people say to me, man, you guys take such a hard stand. You guys are legalistic. Knock yourself out. You say whatever you want to say. But for us, we don't want things that bind our people. I believe that alcohol, okay, is the, is the justifiable bondage maker in the church of Jesus Christ. People are drinking and, they, and they're falling into bondage all the time. How do I know? I know because we're dealing with it all the time. Okay, so, so you could have whatever philosophy or disposition, okay, if you were on my side of the table, you would know that that's not something you want to do. And for me, the thought of someone who battles with alcohol, okay, so here's the biblical reasoning, because remember, it talked about love, okay, is it a sin to have a glass of wine? No, it's not a sin to have a glass of wine. Is it a sin to make someone stumble? Yes. The only problem is, is you don't know when it comes to alcohol when you will make someone stumble. You don't know it. So, for example, if my wife would have said to me when we first got married, the only condition for me to marry you is that you'll never go into a bar. Okay? I would have said, for you, absolutely. No problem. I love you. I don't need that. I want you. Okay. You know what? I love her. That's not a big deal. Now, a lot of people say, well, I want my freedom. Well, if that calls you that much, how free are you? If it calls you that much, how free are you? And if, if loving someone else and protecting someone else and guarding someone else, okay, if guarding someone else means that little to you than to have that, quote, drink, okay, how free are you? Wouldn't it be better to sacrifice and say, I won't do that, so that someone could look at you and say, like, yes, if they can do it, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want that kind of life. I want that kind of blessing. Hallelujah. Now, now listen. Listen, is this message today about alcohol? No. That's not what this message is about, okay? This message is about we as the people of God learning how to discern, learning what the Bible says, and learning how to make decisions that keep us in fellowship with the Lord rather than breaking fellowship. You see? That's what I'm talking about. Whether it be this or a lot of other things, okay, nothing is worth breaking fellowship with Jesus. And look, the older you get in God, okay, the closer you get to God, the more he refines you and the more he, he gets you closer to him. The less you want of the world and of the things of the world, the less you give into the flesh. So, so it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, but how many know we should all be growing? And hopefully today's message has given all of us a lot to think about. We have to think about, about what it means to fellowship with God and what it means to break fellowship with God. Now, here's the last thing that this passage teaches us, and then we're going to take communion together. First of all, everybody look at me. Everybody happy? I'm happy. Okay? I'm so happy today, right? Right? Love this topic, don't you? I said in the last service to the people, I said, please like me. <laughs> so, no, no, we got to tell the truth and shame the devil because only the truth sets men free. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Oh, give us a love for the truth, Lord. Give us an appetite for the truth. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay, here's the last thing that this teaches us. Last thing that it teaches us is that light illuminates the doorway to the blood. Light illuminates the doorway to the blood. Keep thinking with me. Here's the last thing. This leads us right into communion. The Bible says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Okay? So the basis of our fellowship is that we're in the light. And notice it says this. And the blood of Jesus, okay, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now this implies that we don't, we're not perfect. And he knows that we're not perfect. But if we keep coming into the light and we keep walking in the light, we connect with each other, we help each other, we connect with him. And when we happen to fail, the blood of Jesus is ready to cleanse us from all of the failure. His mercies are new every morning. He is the God of the second and third and tenth chance. Hallelujah. All you have to do is turn to him and step into the light. And he's ready to wash us clean with his powerful blood. So look. When I was a kid, there was a game show called The Price is Right. How many know The Price is Right? And in The Price is Right, there was a, a segment where they would say, what's behind door number one? Do you choose door number one? Do you choose door number two? Pastor Jake was telling me that once they, they had a mess up and they actually got to see what was behind the door. You know what I mean? Uh, we couldn't find that to put it up for you. But anyway, what's behind door number one, door number two, door number three? You realize, right, that your life and my life, our lives are a sum total of the doors that we choose to walk through. You see? In the end, your life will be all about the choices that you made and the doors that you walk through. Jesus came to the earth, okay, as the light of the world. And he came to give his life so that we could have life, so that we could have favor, so that we could have fellowship. And he knew that he would have to pay a very precious price. He would have to pay with his very own blood to purchase our fellowship, to be restored to him. But see, what the light of God does is it focuses you on the doorway of the blood so that when you go to make choices, you always choose getting under the blood of Jesus and letting him cleanse you because the only way to restore fellowship with God is through the blood of Jesus. No one else can make us right but Jesus. But he paid the price for us to receive freely. Today, freely, you could receive the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the cleansing of God. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if you've been away for 30 years or 50 years or five days or five weeks. Today, if you will say, God, I want to get back in the light, oh God. God, cleanse me because I want to be close to you. I want your favor. I want your life. How many are thankful today? There's not one person that he says, turn away. No, he says, come. And he washes us in the blood. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. The blood is always the doorway to fellowship. All of the basis of our connection to God is the fact that he paid the price for our sin. And we've received it. So we're going to take communion now. And we're going to pass out the emblems. As we pass out the emblems. Okay, I want you to take the cup, and I want, to, I want you to take the bread and hold it. And listen, a lot of stuff is going to go on now, but I need you to keep listening for just a few more minutes. Okay? Now, first of all, if there's anyone here today that you've never invited Jesus into your heart, you've never started a relationship of fellowship with him, here's what the Bible says. Please, guys, stay focused on me, okay? Listen. What the Bible says is this. Don't do outwardly because this is, this is a symbolic uh, a practice that has 
that has divine blessing on it, but it's still symbolic. This is not really the blood of Jesus. It's not really the body. It's juice and bread. But it's us celebrating what Jesus did for us. But here's what the Bible says. It says, don't participate outwardly in what you haven't first done inwardly, spiritually. So today is the opportunity for us to receive Jesus into our hearts. In other words, whenever you start a relationship, you remember when that relationship started. I started a relationship with Jesus on a baseball field when I was 17 years old. Okay, it's not that just that you go to church, it's a moment when you invite him in and he comes in by his spirit and then you're born again. So if, if there's anyone here, everyone just close your eyes for a moment. If there's anyone here that, that the, you feel the spirit of God even right now knocking on the door of your heart and saying, maybe you've gone to church, maybe you grew up in church, but in terms of you having a real relationship, you never had that moment when you said, Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you want to start that relationship, you want to take communion spiritually and then you want to take it physically, which will be blessed spiritually as well. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now so that I can just lead you in a quick prayer? Is there anyone you want to start a relationship with Jesus? You feel the Lord knocking on the door of your heart. Anyone raise your hand up high. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Bless, yes, there's a hand over there. All day people have been accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Another hand is going up. Anyone else, another hand is going up. Listen, if you feel, I know the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart. Okay, don't be ashamed to start a relationship with Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Is there anyone else? Raise your hand nice and high so that we could see. And we want to give you a packet, a, a, a little gift to help you start your relationship with God. Okay, you can put your hand down and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray a prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. We'll, we'll all say this prayer together. Okay, but as you pray this prayer, those of you who raised your hand, those of you who wanna accept Jesus as Lord, God will hear your heart and your cry of faith and he will come by his spirit and he will live inside of you forever and ever. And that will happen right now. So let's all, everyone just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for shining your light on my heart. Thank you for revealing that you came to this earth. You lived a sinless life. And then you died for my sin. You paid the price with your innocent life for my guilty soul. And you paid the price to restore fellowship between you and I. Forgive me for all of my sin. Wash me of all the guilt and shame. Today, Lord, I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart, to be my master, my Lord, my Savior, and my friend. Thank you for receiving me, even as I receive you. Amen and amen. I know we can't clap because we have the emblems, but could we praise God for one moment? Hallelujah. 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 Blessed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We pray. Thank you for cleansing. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for freedom today, oh God. Thank you, God, that we have access, oh God, unfettered access. Thank you that we are all going from this place, oh Lord, in complete fellowship with you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you paid the price so that we could fellowship together. God, I pray your richest blessings upon every person here. God, I pray for your life. I pray for your favor. And God, I pray, Lord, that this would be a week of amazing fellowship with you, Lord. God, help us to walk in the light. Help us to discern the light. Help us to yoke to the light, oh God, and nothing else.
Use us to be a light in this dark world. Thank you, God, for people who accepted you. And thank you for the family of believers that we get to follow you together. Bless every home and bless every heart, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and bless him. Blessed be the name of the Lord.